What's going on, guys? In today's podcast, we have a very, very special one today because it's a very special day, being that it's the day one of this year's NFL draft. I've been joking around a lot lately on social media saying that um, draft season is too long, and it is because literally by by the time late March, early April, mid-April roll around, people are so entrenched in their kind of a belief system, and a lot of it, unfortunately because not everybody has time to watch these kids, right? So a lot of it is really based on just kind of the overall consensus of like, you know, the the consensus on which players are, are going to be available in certain spots, right? Just because we have, you know, all of us at this point have read so many mock drafts and, um, you know, things are kind of chaotic. So it's funny now, I on one hand for me, I feel the draft season is too short because during the NFL season, I'm doing a lot of fantasy stuff and then I'm covering and breaking down each game and I'm focusing on, you know, content and things like that. So it's on one hand for me, by the time draft season rolls around, everything's in a huge rush and I'm trying to watch as many of these guys as I can. And then on the other part of it, it's like I noticed that in large part, you know, generally speaking, it's too damn long because people are angry. Like imagine if we only had like a one you know, maybe a month and a half, one month or maybe a month and a half long break in between like, you know, real football stuff. And then like, imagine if the Super Bowl happens and then a month and a half later, the draft happens. I think that's how it should be, to be honest, because it gets rough. I think we all are just like ready for this thing to happen. And like, if anybody would have predicted last year that Damon Arnett would have went in the first round, you would have been met with like if I would have dropped a predictive mock that had Damon Arnett going in the middle of the first round, people would have cussed me the hell out, right? Like, or anybody, not just me, anybody for that matter. You know, and then little do you know, Damon Arnett goes there. Or if you had Cleveland Farrell, and sorry, Raider fans, I know these are both your guys, but if you had Cleveland Farrell going ahead of Josh Allen a few years ago, again, you would have been cussed out. So lately, we've seen Chris Sims have which I, I agree with you guys, this is ridiculous, having Justin Fields going at 32. I, I mean, you're telling me that every team in the first round is going to pass on this guy until the very last chance. Like, I don't, that's, that's not realistic, okay? If that's a predictive mock, that is, you know, you're not trying hard enough to get the answer right, you know? Because even though it is possible that Justin Fields could drop some, 32, I mean, come on, dude, there's this, that's just no way. But all in all, I think that, you know, when we do these predictive mocks, it's, you know, it's a bit of fun, really. And it's also a good exercise to kind of see, you know, if there's a trend to be discovered and stuff like that. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about just all things draft, I'm going to get into a few different topics that I think are important. And one of them, and I think this really, because of where it's positioned in the draft, the third overall pick in San Francisco, I think that's very important, right? I, I believe that, um, you know, we obviously on the one hand, you've got, I think the majority of people still believe it will be Mac Jones here. But as of late, we've seen a lot of Trey Lance rumblings. And it seems like Justin Fields is not really in the ballpark here um, for this selection for whatever reason. I guess the NFL is not quite as high on him as I am and, and as a lot of us are in the media and fan bases and stuff like that. But um I have been getting this question a lot as as it pertains to San Francisco. Do you think there's any chance that they could take a non-quarterback, basically Kyle Pitts or whoever it might be? There's no chance that they they um, 
they moved up this far. They gave away three first-round picks, and they've already said that they're taking a quarterback. They haven't said, you know, which one they prefer or whatever, but they have said that they're taking a quarterback. So regardless, even if they didn't say that, you know, there's no chance that you give up that much compensation, you know, especially during the time that they did that, like what is it, a month and a half before the draft, you don't do that for a non-quarterback. So just I don't want to get that to bed, you know, put that issue to rest really quickly. Um, to begin this podcast. And I also want to talk about this. So it could definitely be Mac Jones, right? It it really could. And obviously, again, most media believe it is, you know, and, and really connected people believe it's Mac Jones. And I understand all that. But when you look at it, what happens if it's not Mac Jones? Like, what I mean is, if it let's say it's Trey Lance, where does Mac Jones, where could Mac Jones then fall, right? Like, so if you think about who's picking fifth, the Bengals are at fifth, right? They're not going to take Mac Jones, you know, and I don't think they're trading out of the spot from what it sounds like. It sounds like they're honing in on Jamar Chase. Picking six is the Miami Dolphins. Now, I don't, I don't think they're taking a the quarterback this year. If they, if they were taking a quarterback, I don't think they would have traded out of the pick three that they were in, you know. So I think that from that standpoint, you can rule out them taking a the quarterback. And I wouldn't say that they're that, – you can rule them out from trading back similar to what I said about Cincinnati. I think Miami would consider a a move back again. I think there was reports of that happening a few um, days or weeks ago or whatever about like they were kind of hoping that Denver wanted to move up and, and and get a quarterback there. So from that standpoint, you know, it could be a quarterback at six and then Detroit, there's been rumblings, Detroit picks seventh. There's been rumblings that they could pick a quarterback. So, Carolina then is at pick eight. Is there a chance that Carolina could get on the clock where Justin Fields and Mac Jones are both available? I mean, look, you might say, no way, you know, because all the mocks I've seen have that, you know, and I've never mocked a, a situation here where quarterbacks were at least where both those guys are available at this spot. But what I'll tell you is it's not impossible. You know, I, I mean, if Mac Jones doesn't go at three, because we we do know, at least I trust, I believe it was, I think it was Peter Schreger that said the 49ers do love Mac Jones. That's that's a fact. It's not a, you know, that they really do. Okay. So if they like, but if again, if they go Trey Lance, because guys, Trey Lance, we're talking about, you guys know how I feel about him, but the NFL people are telling you Trey Lance is the smartest quarterback in this draft. And if you follow anybody that can tell can talk about this with any level of like, you know, retention from the film, they'll tell you that Trey Lance clearly, if you won't say he's the most physically talented, he's definitely a 1A, 1B type of thing in terms of just raw physical talent. So if you couple that with the, you know, what they're calling the most intelligent quarterback in this draft class, and you you consider that he's you know, we're, we're judging 19-year-old Trey Lance film against three-year starter at Clemson, Ohio State, et cetera. You know, like we're, we're looking at that, like we're making those comparisons based on the projection being that, right? So I think that when you think about it from that standpoint, it makes a ton of sense for San Francisco to be all in on Trey Lance, especially when you combine that with Kyle Shanahan's comments about basically how it's an advantage to have a quarterback that can win from the pocket as well as, 
you know, win it with his legs and things like that. So I think that it makes sense if San Francisco, and they said this the other day, and I don't know if I fully believe them here, but they said when they first made the trade, they did so with the intent of taking a specific quarterback, one quarterback. Then they came out and said, well, yeah, we made that, you know, that was our initial, you know, kind of thought process on it. But during the process, now we've, you know, now we may have changed our mind. I don't think, first of all, it's not sound team building strategy if you could change your mind in, a, in about a month's time based on more information, right? Like you're willing to, to as the kids say, mortgage the future, right? And, and again, you guys know I don't believe that that's mortgaging the future, but you're willing to give away a ton of compensation for the ability to trade up and get the third best quarterback or at least the third quarterback taken in this class. And you're, you know, you had your eyes set on one guy, but now you might've changed your mind. It's like that, that's like a, that's like getting married and then being like, well, you know, I'm not like a week later or a month later. I'm not sure if I, maybe I should have married this other girl, right? Like it's, it's not, you probably didn't make the right decision in your first you know, when you first made it. So, so I don't know. That's just my thoughts on it. Maybe they're just BSing because people, they think people know who they're taking. So they're just kind of trying to screw with people. I don't know. But for me, I think that they've always known who they were taking. If I had to, if I had to bet on it now, I'm not going to say that I, I fully believe this, but if I had to bet on it, I would say that they've known who they were taking since making this trade, because I think they got a wink, wink and a nudge from Robert Salah over there with the Jets, you know, to say like, yeah, that guy might be there. You know, something, something like that is all they would need, because otherwise, I don't think you can make that trade. Right. Like, let's say they said, you know, we want either Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson. Well, you, you can't trade to three then, you know. Obviously, they they probably thought they knew Trevor Lawrence was going to be gone. So if they said we want either Trevor, uh, we want either Zach Wilson or, you know, um, Trey Lance or Mac Jones or whatever, then I guess you could make that move. But it's just so rare, from what I understand, from people that have been in this business uh, in front offices, it's so rare for a team to not know exactly the guy that they're taking. Meaning, it's so rare for a team to have multiple guys at the quarterback position that they'd be willing to do something like this for. You know, it's it's not like us in the media where we're just like, oh yeah, we'll take all of them because they're thinking about it from a specific state, like scheme and. And just, you know, all that they're, they're thinking about it from a many much more specific situation where, you know, maybe Justin Fields doesn't fit or maybe whatever, whoever insert quarterback's name doesn't fit their, you know, what they're looking for from that specific position. But I think that it's an important conversation to have if Mac Jones isn't the pick at three hat, where does he fall? And also, does that make Atlanta's selection, if Mac Jones is the pick there, somebody said this on Twitter. I, I want to give them credit, but I can't remember who it was. They said, if Mac Jones is the pick at three, does that make Atlanta's spot more valuable in a trade? You know, I think that for the most part, that value is going to be what it is, but may, I could see it slightly increasing there um, for the Falcons if they decide to make that trade. And one thing I would not do if I'm Atlanta, I was talking about this somebody the other day on on um, social I can't remember who it was but if I'm Atlanta my prerogative is I'm either trading back which is what I'm leaning towards right or 
I am taking a quarterback. I am not drafting Kyle Pitts at four. I think that they're in a, a specific position where they need to – like they don't have any money, right, cap space. They do have needs. I mean, they have – you could make the argument they have a lot of needs. That's why they're at this picking this high in the draft anyways. So I think from my – what I would do for Atlanta in that position is I would either take a quarterback and, and have a – basically commit to a slower rebuild or I would trade back to like, you know, somewhere around pick seven to nine, 10, whatever, somewhere in that range. And I would also look to trade Julio for whatever. But the point is I would try to acquire maybe two or three additional day two picks um, and then move back a few spots and then grab my guy in the first round. So that, that would be my thing. I would not, the one thing I would not do for sure would be to sit at four and take a non-quarterback. That's something I'm, I'm not interested in if, if I'm the Atlanta Falcons. But back to my original question here is how far could Mac Jones fall if Lance is the pick at three? I think he could probably go all the way down to like 15, you know, to New England. Like, uh, I mean, is it possible that New Orleans, who a lot of people are talking about moving up into the top 10, probably for a quarterback, is it possible that they would take Mac Jones? Sure, I think he'd be great in Sean Payton's offense. Um, I mean, that would be like, you're talking about Mac Jones is a guy that doesn't have elite level arm talent, but Drew Brees hasn't had elite level arm talent in some time. Right. And he's been dominant in that offense. So it's a situation where they have a proven, and by the way, I think he does have a stronger arm than Tua. I don't know that he's necessarily more accurate than Tua, but I think he definitely has a stronger arm. Um, I think I'd say their accuracy is pretty close to equal. Um, I probably give a slight edge to Tua, but if you ask me now, which would I prefer as prospects, I would go with Mac Jones. But anyway, so my point is, I like Mac Jones. You know, I'm not calling him limited from an arm talent standpoint, but I am calling him uh, not your typical like if you put Trey Lance or Justin Fields and and or Zach Wilson, and you put Mac Jones on the same football field and ask them to do the same drills simultaneously throwing drills, it would just be so lopsided, you know? So the idea that somebody's going to draft that guy ahead of these other guys to me is wild. And it could go back, could go down as one of the greatest blunders in NFL history, even though I think Mac Jones would have a fine career with Kyle Shanahan there in San Francisco. Like when I say fine, I think he'd be, he'd probably be offensive rookie of the year still, you know? So unfortunately for him, whatever he does won't be enough because we're all going to think about what could have been right. And when I, I brought this up yesterday too, I, on Instagram and Twitter, I, like if you looked at Kyle Shanahan, I believe it was what 2017 draft, right? Passes on Deshaun Watson passes on Patrick Mahomes. Then a few years later, has a 10-point lead in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes, loses the game in large part to Mahomes' ability to extend plays and just having that elite-level arm talent to do certain things that most guys walking this planet cannot do. You know, and then to have another chance at an elite-level talent, like to make that trade successfully with the intention on getting a quarterback – and getting one that's like a legit game-changing ca caliber quarterback that you gave up three first-rounders for and all that stuff, 
and then you select Mac Jones. It's just to me that that's like, I want to know, and I'd, I'd like to know this by somebody that knows Kyle Shanahan personally or is a big enough 49ers fan to have this kind of like a good, you know, guess on this matter. How stubborn is Kyle Shanahan as a person? Like, is he outrageously stubborn to the point where he's just like, I don't give a shit. You know, I don't care about Patrick, passing on Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson for, you know, Solomon Thomas, who's not even on the roster anymore. I don't care about any of that. You know, I'm going to trade three ones and go up there and get Mac Jones because my scheme requires X, Y, and Z, and this is why we want him, and that's all we need. Like, or is he like someone that reflects on certain things? Not that he's beating himself up about it because he shouldn't, but is he someone that's going to say, hey, man, maybe if I – would have been a little bit more open to the idea that this guy named Mahomes with clear elite level talent and athleticism and things like that, the ability to run some extra mobility, stuff like maybe I should have, you know, looked at that a little bit differently at that time. And maybe I should have drafted him. Right. Because if that's the case, if he feels that way at all, he's looking at Trey Lance, who again, it's not just elite level traits and talent with him. It's, quote unquote, the smartest quarterback in the draft. And he's 20 years old. He's only going to get better. People talk about the, you know, the, the competition level that he faced. Well, guys, imagine this. He's going to have NFL talent around him with a elite or with a much better coach, even if it's not Kyle Shanahan from the standpoint of like making him look better. If he were just not what he is, then he probably would have had 20 touchdowns to nine interceptions or something like that. But he he scored 42 touchdowns and didn't th- didn't turn the ball over in 2019. In his first year starting, he's only going to get better. And him, at age 20, is considered the smartest quarterback in the draft by NFL people, meaning by the people that are getting him up on the whiteboard and getting Mac Jones up on the whiteboard and getting Justin Fields and getting, you know, Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence. Like, you're comparing them to all those guys, right? So um, I think that matters from their perspective specifically. Anyways, um, I also want to talk about just how far could Justin Fields fall. I don't see, again, I think him or Mac Jones, 15 is is the likely, you know, absolute floor for both those guys. And I think um, – or maybe not absolute floor, but I think what would it be? The Bears, I believe, are picked 20. Washington football team is picked 19. I think that is like the – like if you tell me, right, if you're Washington and you stay home and Justin Fields or Mac Jones, either or, falls in your lap, you're not going to take them? I mean, that's that would just be ridiculous, right? We're talking about the, the Niners are – really seriously contemplating giving away three ones to go up and get Mac Jones. You guys have an opportunity to get him at without moving a muscle at pick 19. And you just say, no, I, I don't see how you could possibly do that. Right. So that's the absolute furthest would be pick 20 at the bears, 19, 20, somewhere there for those, both those guys, in my opinion. Okay. Um, Cincinnati. So many believe they're taking Jamar chase. And if they do take Jamar chase, and I posted about this the other day, when does the third offensive tackle come off the board? Because the way I look at it is this, if the Bengals take Jamar Chase instead of Penny Sewell, right? Let's say Atlanta, you know, doesn't take a tackle. Let's just go that far for now. Um, Miami, it would be, you know, pretty reasonable to expect them to take Kyle Pitts or, or at least plausible that they could take Kyle Pitts. 
And then at Detroit, they desperately need a wide receiver, so maybe they go wide receiver there at seven. Is it possible that Carolina's going to have its pick of the litter at offensive tackle at pick eight? You know, let's assume Carolina's not taking a quarterback. Or maybe Carolina then takes a quarterback. Maybe they say, oh, we'll take Justin Fields. So is it possible that the Broncos at pick nine could have their pick of the litter? Like how far could we go potentially? Not, not you know, I'm not banging the table saying this is what's going to happen. But how far could we possibly go where we see – the first offensive tackle off the board. And if so, right, let's just say it's Denver for, for this, for just argument's sake here. Then the next picks after Denver would be, let's say they take Sewell or Slater, whoever it might be. Then you've got Dallas. I don't know if they'll take one. You know, maybe like if Penny Sewell, if the Broncos grab Slater, could the Cow, would the Cowboys then take Penny Sewell? Probably. But in likelihood, if you look at their roster, right, at pick 10 at least, it doesn't seem like, offensive tackle would be the move for them so let's just say they're not just for now okay the Giants have Nate Solder Andrew Thomas and they also have Matt Pert who played well last year let's just say they don't take an offensive tackle there Philly doesn't take an offensive tackle the Chargers definitely could and would so I think that it's possible that the third offensive tackle in my question the other day could come off the board at pick 14 to the uh, Vikings because they could also take one so if that happens, you know, you've got if you're sitting at pick 21 or 22 or whatever, I think where the Colts are, Samuel Cosme, 21 is where I kind of have mocked to them on multiple occasions because I think he's a great fit and, and uh, you know, a good um, feels a need for them as well. You know, you're sitting there and you're, you're thinking, I'm not I'm not trading up like I think we're pretty much good. Right. Like we're going to get that guy. Oh, by the way, my offensive tackle rankings, just my top six, just to just to, you know, kind of brush up on this for you guys, Penny Sewell at one. And keep in mind, I love Rashawn Slater. I would take Rashawn Slater top 10, but I'm just this high on this draft class. Penny Sewell at one, Christian Derisaw at two, Tevin Jenkins three, Rashawn Slater four, Elijah Vera Tucker at five, because I, I'm trying him at OT first. And then I think he can do it. And then Samuel Cosme at six. And just to emphasize the strength of this class, Samuel Cosme, at his pro day, 6'6", 314 pounds, 33-inch arms, a 30-inch vertical, a 975 broad, 36 reps. That's an explosion number of 75.8, 75.75. That's outrageous, right? Oh, by the way, a 48440, a 439 shuttle, and a 7353 cone. The dude is an absolute monster, okay? Like, in any other class, if I said my OT6, you know, people would be like, what is he, a second or third rounder? No, this dude's a first round caliber player. Like, if you are fortunate enough to get him at pick 21 if you're the Indianapolis Colts, I don't see how you could pass up on the guy. Like, what's not to like? I mean, yeah, you, you'd like his arms to be an inch longer, but he's six foot six, right? It's not like he's one of these six three guys, you know, he's six six, you know, and um, he has the production. And yeah, I just think that this the tackles could drive this draft at some point or another, and I think they will. The the top twelve to fourteen tackles or whatever it might be that go on day one and two, and it's just going to be very interesting for me to to understand or to see when these guys come off the. Okay, so now I want to talk about some guys that I think could go in round one that people don't expect, and I also want to talk about 
maybe not round one, but some guys that will go a little bit earlier, just a few guys that would prop that will probably go a little bit earlier than people expect. First guy, and this guy, I think it's very likely that he goes in round one. It's a cornerback from Georgia. I've talked about him before, Eric Stokes. Okay, at, at his pro day, Eric Stokes came in at six foot, 194 pounds, right? 32 and three quarter inch arms, almost basically 33 inch arms, right? He ran a 4-3-4-40, a 39 inch vertical, and almost an 11 foot broad jump. The dude is a freak. Oh, by the way, did I mention he went to Georgia? He didn't go to, you know, Southwest Missouri State. You know, he didn't he didn't go to something like that. Like we're we're talking about a productive player from the University of Georgia that has exact size that you covet as an outside corner, that has many uh, a ton of athleticism that has the exact speed that you dream of, you know what I mean? And, and a guy that I believe can play in any scheme. Like, I, I don't think there's a specific scheme that you got to put him in. And No, I've seen him play zone coverage. He's very good playing off of his eyes. He's good from press. He obviously has the speed to be able to, to play, you know, man coverage and things like that. So I, I don't, I don't know, man. Nobody's talking about him in the first round. I think that he goes in the first round. I really do because if you need – like, for example, if the if the Saints don't trade up and they need a corner, right? Like, how could you how could you pass up on this guy? You know, let's say, like, a lot of, a lot of corners go in the first round and he's sitting there on the board. I mean, you're, you're taking him, in my opinion. So I think that Eric Stokes is the guy – that um that are going first round. I think he, I, I really believe that. I don't I don't think you see six foot, two hundred pound corners with thirty three inch arms running low four threes, you know, with production in college that last in day two. Like I just don't think that happens. So we'll see. Um, another guy, this guy now. I don't think he's going to go in the first round. Okay, but I do think. Just hear me out. It's possible, right? It's a defensive tackle from Louisiana Tech, La Tech. His name is Milton Williams. You guys may have never even heard of him because I honestly just watched him this morning. In his last two seasons, 22 games played. In those seasons, he has 19 tackles for loss and 10 sacks. So that's 29 plays made behind the line of scrimmage in 22 games. You know, obviously, that's a pretty good rate there for an interior defensive lineman. At his pro day, Came in at 6'3", 284 pounds, 31 and a half inch arms. Okay, you're like, oh, you know, he's kind of small. Yep, he is kind of small, but guess what? 39 inch vertical. That's the 99th percentile. 10-1 broad jump. That's the 97th percentile. 34 reps in the bench. That's the 91st percentile. 46240, that's the 99th percentile at 284 pounds. <laughs> and then a 425 short shuttle and a 6873 cone. Again, way up in like the 95th percentile. So this dude has production. And yes, he's a little bit small. No doubt about it. But you want to talk about compensating factors. I would say it's safe to say he has compensating factors. You want to talk about the explosion number, by the way. With him, he's got an explosion number of 39, 49, um, Wait, 39 plus 34, 69, 73, 83. An explosion number of roughly 83. 
that's JJ Watt level stuff. Like he is one of like two or three guys in this entire draft class to be an 80 or above in that, in that category that I've seen, but most draft classes don't have more than five of those. You know, they really don't. So, you know, obviously you have to look at this film. And when I watched this film, I, I wasn't, I didn't look at him and say he's a first round player. Um, I didn't even look at him and say he's going to be an 80 explosion number guy. I didn't think he looked that dynamic on tape, but you see flashes. So I don't know where people, let me, you know, I don't know where the people are uh, kind of thinking he'll go. Let me take a look at this mock draft thing here and see if I can kind of, um, okay. So he's the 63rd player on pro football networks, big board. So I guess that's, that's higher than, than I, I was thinking he'd be like a day three guy, but who knows, maybe they're really high on him. But I, I just think that with those kinds of tools in a defensive tackle class that is, you know, has been talked about as one of the worst in recent memory or maybe ever, right? Like, I just think this dude is going to go higher than people think, you know what I mean? Like with those kind of tools and he does have production and while his tape on a down to down basis isn't phenomenal, there are moments where you go, whoa, okay, that's what it could look like. You know, if it all comes together, that's what it could look like, right? I think that makes sense. I mean, you know, a guy like this being that he has this kind of unique size, right? He's not a defensive end, but he's not a, you know, a nose tag. He's like, you know, something, I would love to see him go to New England in round two. I really would. I think they would, they, they, what do they excel at in New England? They excel at getting guys in position to succeed, right? You find a way for this guy to succeed in the NFL and you just tell him to do that every down he plays <laughs> and um, look out because if and when it all comes together for this dude, it's going to come together in a big way. So I like Milton Williams a whole lot. Um, a guy that I think could go in the first round that no one's really talking about, there's been some steam more about him lately, is Efetu Melifanu, the uh, Syracuse corner. You guys have heard me talk about him before. He's six foot two, 205 pounds, 32 and a quarter inch arms, an explosion number of 69.2. That's a 42 inch vert, 11.2 broad, 16 reps on the bench. Oh, by the way, 44840, 434 short shuttle, and a seven flat three cone. It's actually 701. But you get the point. Look, man, I, I am actually surprised that he didn't even test better than that in terms of the movement skill stuff. I really thought he was going to because he moves better than that with pads and a helmet on on the football field. You know, his ability to change direction at six, two, six, whatever, you know, 200 and something pounds is different. It's unique and it's special to be, to be honest with you. So I think if they could easily go in round one, um, I think that Greg Newsom is a lock to go in round one. And I, I've heard some people talking about like, you know, if we're not worried about if we're worried about Caleb Fairley's injury stuff, why aren't we worried about Greg Newsom's? Well, because we've seen Greg Newsom play a year of football and test. Caleb Fairley didn't play last year and couldn't test because he needed back surgery. You know, don't act like we're picking on Caleb Fairley. Like, if there was one thing we expected and needed to see from Caleb Fairley, it was that he's in shape right? Like that he's healthy and in shape. We didn't get to see that. And he didn't play football. 
if he would have played football in 2020 and and then said, oh, I don't want to test, you know, I've got to, you know, whatever, then okay, like no big deal. Because like it would, I'm just telling you, the perception would have likely been much different. But the fact that you did not play the entire year and then you couldn't perform at your pro day, how could you not be worried about that? Right? Like that's, that's very, I mean, if you're not worried about that, there's nothing that's going to scare you. You know, the guy could shred his ACL, you know, <laughs> going into a meeting and you draft him the next day. Like, I, I don't know, man, that we have to be worried about that. But my point is, I think Greg Newsom's a lock in the first round. I think obviously JC Horn's a lock. I think that um, Sertain's a lock. You know, my point is there could easily be five or six corners taken in the first round. And if Eric Stokes and Efetu Melifan were the next guys on that list, and I guarantee you some teams have them higher than other guys that we that we all like, you know, I definitely think those guys could be first-round picks, and it would not shock me at all. I'd be excited for these kids. Okay, another guy that I think could be a first-rounder that no one's really talking about, and I definitely feel like I might be low on this guy, and I, and I like him a lot. Alex Leatherwood, Alabama's um, offensive tackle. Look, first and foremost, this guy – is six foot five, 312 pounds, 34 and three eighth inch arms. Okay. So he checks all boxes if you want to play him at offensive tackle. He although also has the versatility to maybe play anywhere on the on an offensive line in the NFL. And from an athleticism standpoint, he 35 inch vertical jump, 96th percentile, 98 broad, 99th percentile. 49640 90th percentile 20 reps on the bench so that's and that's a 35 inch arms basically right so 65 about right around a 65 explosion number which is very 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 good you know especially at 312 pounds so when i think about it right from alex if i'm alex like if i'm the baltimore ravens sitting at pick 31 and 27 either or but i mean i don't think it's a crazy reach to take alex leatherwood there like if you're sitting there you know, and the offensive tackles have all come off the board and he's the next guy up, I would just take him. I mean, I think that they may be able to trade back a few spots and then still get him. But at the end of the day, if you take Alex Leatherwood in the first, you know, pick 31, preferably, I don't think that's bad. I don't think it's bad value at all. And it's, um, I don't think that's, I don't think that's reaching unless let's say you've got the 15th and 18th players on your board are still available there and he's the 36th, well, then that's a reach, right? It's all relative to kind of how your board has come together. But like, generally speaking, I don't think that's some horrible reach there. Okay, Because you got to remember, we all have our quote-unquote boards, right? Well, NFL teams spend millions of dollars on their board. We don't spend anything on ours. But, um, but in any case... We have our boards, but you can't expect that, like, just because, okay, it's pick 31, I'm going to take the 31st best player. Like, every team has a different board. You know, there's no two boards alike. They're like fingerprints, as Pat Kerwin always says. So when you look at it from that standpoint, you know, you might have your ninth player available at pick 31. You know, you could. So it's not just like, okay, that's – if he's pick 31 and you take him at pick 31, it could still be a reach, you know, if you take him over – if you know your ninth or fifteenth best player is still available, I think you should take that guy because that's a considerable margin of 
you know, he that's a that's a better player, and you should never you should never cave to need. In that situation, you go ahead and take the better player, and then you try like hell to trade back up and you know a few a few picks later and get that other guy. That's kind of would be something I'm more likely to do. And I know Baltimore is in a situation where they they kind of weird because they pick 27 and they pick 31 then they don't have a second rounder so i believe they do have two thirds and two fourths but that's a whole long way to go right if you can't get that if you don't feel like if you feel like you're reaching to take an offensive tackle there you don't have the luxury of waiting till the second round right now you know maybe they'll trade back up in the second round i think that's possible but in any case um it's an interesting predicament that they find themselves in because they happen to need an offensive tackle very badly. And I think that Alex Leatherwood will be there at the bottom of round one, depending on, you know, he may go in round one, but I think he'll be available right around that range of 27 to 31. Okay. Um, another guy that this guy, I'm not very high on, like according to, or at least in comparison to the consensus, Jason Owe, I, I could easily see Jason Owe going top 10, top 15. Right. We've seen it in recent mocks, you know, by people that are pretty connected. We've seen um, we've seen. I mean, look, he's six, five, two fifty seven with thirty four and a half inch arms. He had the best broad jump, a hundredth percentile at eleven two. Um, he had a 40 inch vertical, 96 percentile, 21 reps in the bench. His explosion number is about 71. Oh, by the way, he ran a four, three, nine, 40, four, one, five shuttle and a six, eight, four, three cone. Right. He's a freaking beast. You know, so if you are of the impression that, hey, I don't care that he had no sacks, I think that, you know, it was because of this or that. And, you you know, you have something that you feel comfortable with justifying that. Then then take I mean, look, he's a freak. You know, he could I don't like him in the first round. I would take him late second round. That's where I feel comfortable with him. But. There will be at least one, maybe 10 NFL teams that are willing to take him in the top 10 to 15 picks. I really believe that. So don't be surprised to hear Jason Owe's name called tonight. As a matter of fact, be surprised if you don't hear Jason Owe's name called in tonight's draft. And then somebody that I'm, I'm going to talk about a few guys that I'm worried about in this draft. Number one is someone that I'm worried about but I don't think the NFL's as worried as they should be. And that's Gregory Rousseau. Okay. We saw Gregory Rousseau play at 240 pounds in 2019. And he absolutely abused guards. A lot of people gave me shit for not having him in my top 10 edge rushers recently. And look, here's the thing, man. If you're 240 pounds and you're beating up on college guards, that's fantastic. But here's the problem. You can't play pro football at 240. As you know, we just saw from his pro day, I think he came in at like 260, 270. And he tested very poorly from an athleticism standpoint. So when we go back to the tape and you want to say he'll be able to do this at the next level, I disagree, right? Because he can't do that stuff to NFL guards at 240 pounds. And the only evidence we have of him at 260-270, which you can line up over a guard at that size, that would be his. The only evidence we have of his athleticism at that size is very poor, right? So, so now it's like, well, I don't know if 
he'd be able to beat guards this way. And the thing about him in terms of being a natural edge rusher is the fact that he didn't beat tackles in college. So how are we to confidently project that he's going to start beating tackles at the NFL level? You know, I just don't, I'm worried about him, but Gil Brandt invited him to the draft. And that means that Gil Brandt's super connected. So he knows teams are considering taking him in the first round. So for me, I understand why they're doing that, right? He's six foot, was he like six foot seven to sit, you know, he's all that kind of stuff, right? That you fall into the old trap, in my opinion, of maybe you get a player, but if you look at the film and you look at what he did athletically from, from the size that he's going to play pro football at, I think there's a lot of reason to be concerned. I guarantee you there are some teams that agree with what I'm saying right now. And I guarantee you there are some teams that do not share these same concerns. So I'm concerned for Gregory Rousseau in the fact that I don't think he can be what they're probably hoping that he could be, you know, as an NFL player. Um, I do think he'll go, you know, day one or, or early day two, though. I, I think that's inevitable. Um, another guy that I'm worried about, and this is someone I really liked. He was in my top 10 at the uh, position of linebacker, off-ball linebacker, Monty Rice from Georgia. So Monty Rice came in at six foot, 238 pounds at his pro day. Something I don't think I saw when I was making my top 10 list was 30-inch arms. That's really short arms, right? Like it's going to be difficult for him to um, – play the run at the next level. It just really is. Um, he, he also ran a 4.8240, which is in the 11th percentile. That's not good at 230-something pounds, right? So when you think about it from that standpoint, and on tape, I did think he looked fast. There was a play I watched of him against Alabama. I specifically remember him carrying Devontae Smith up the field, right, in deep middle. I remember that, but I, that's, I don't know. It's, I'm a little bit worried now. Right. I think that when you look at that, I think the NFL, I'm worried for him in a different way than I am Rousseau. I think he can still play pro football at a, you know, I think he'd probably be a starter, you know, at some point. That's kind of his ceiling. But I'm worried that the NFL is not going to feel that way. As a matter of fact, I'm worried that they're not even going to draft him. I think there's a chance that Monty Rice could be an undrafted free agent when it's all said and done because there are, cutoffs right and analytics people don't typically marry this with how pro football teams do but these teams are using analytics right like what if you're a linebacker that runs four eight and you have 30 inch arms how many of those guys historically speaking have succeeded at the next level and if you're running four eight we don't i don't even know if we want you on special teams so if we don't feel like we can play you on special teams What's to make us take you over, you know, anybody else that on day three that we can confidently put in there on special teams? So that's kind of the issue. Now, it's going to take a team that says, nope, he plays faster than that because I, I will say he does. But when you talk about the lack of length and then the 4'8", whatever, 40, I think that uh, it's reasonable to assume that he may not get drafted. I really feel that way. And I hope I'm wrong because I like him. I think he was my ninth or 10th best linebacker in uh, this year's draft. So I had like third round grade on him, I believe. 
Anyways, another guy that I'm worried about, and this is just really for the same reasons of Monty Rice, I'm worried about Tutu Atwell. I don't think Tutu Atwell is going to be drafted any earlier than day three. I just don't I don't see how you could do that, right? Like for the same reasons that we just talked about, the analytics, how many 155-pound wide receivers have ever succeeded in the NFL? I would go out on a limb here and say there's never been one. I, I really would. And even if there has even if there's been a dozen of them, the the percentage of that size player succeeding at that position or at any position in the NFL, I think is awfully low. Right. So I know Tutu posted on his Twitter, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that he, it was him getting on a scale and he was like 160. That's cool, man. But you know, I don't know. That it's sometimes, and I say this often, there's such a thing as too small. And then when you look at that combined with the fact that Tutu's not some polished route runner, right? And oh, by the way, if I recall correctly, I think he ran like a four four two or four four five. It might even been a four four nine. It wasn't in the four twos or four three. If it was four two five or something like that, you say, "Yep, that's just what he is. He's tiny, but when he touches the football, good things happen." Now it's like, well, yeah, he's he's fast, but he's not like you know you got two hundred pound receivers that are running four four three. I mean, look, Terrace Marshall is a guy that's what two hundred fifteen, two hundred twenty pounds running four three eight. I mean, come on. So, and obviously. Most people are going to have Marshall ahead of Tutu Atwell, but Tutu is a guy that he came under my radar because Daniel Jeremiah had him in his top 50. I don't think Tutu is getting drafted any earlier than day three. Any earlier. Fourth, fifth round. I take a shot at him in the fourth or fifth round. That's it, though. You know, that's just my own personal. I, like, And I was high on him. I'm going to have to redo my receiver rankings if I have time. I don't know if I will. But I think Tutu was in there, and he's definitely not going to be in there if I redo them unfortunately and i hope he's an awesome player i just i don't want to seem like i'm i hate him i hope he's a great player okay and now let's talk about the 49ers in terms of will they trade jimmy garoppolo and also i'm gonna talk about the saints moving up and what that might be for so the um it was reported last night that the patriots were interested and were actually in discussions with jimmy garoppolo about taking less money then it was reported this morning very early this morning that that was not going to happen Right. Basically, from what I'm going to do here, just looking at two and two and putting them together and seeing that it equals four is I'm going to say that New England wanted him to come to New England and compete to start, meaning that he gets paid compete to start money, which is like what the likes of Jameis Winston have received. And, you know, guys like that, Cam Newton is under a compete to start contract right now. It means that we pay you 2 million bucks, 3 million bucks, whatever it might be as a base salary. And everything else is incentive based based on if you play. I think Jimmy is sitting there like, dude, I have a no trade clause. I know San Francisco wants to trade me or they want to keep me. Right. So they're not going to, um, I mean, they don't want to cut them even though they can, because if they cut them, it's like, what does he have to lose, basically, if you're Jimmy? You can hold out and hope that a team trades for you at your price tag financially, right? And San Francisco doesn't want to release you, even though they don't have any dead money, really, 
because I think they have like $2 million dead money, but they don't want to release you because they want to get compensation for you. And if they don't get compensation for you, they might as well hold you and have you there to mentor the young quarterback. Who knows? Maybe they get another year out of you at the highest level you've ever played. Then they can trade you next year. You know, so that's kind of the thought process there. It's a weird situation. So Jimmy, I think he's pretty much sitting there like, well, go ahead and cut me, you know, kind of calling their bluff. Right. So, and I think that right, at least not right now, they're not going to cut him right now. And nobody's going to trade for him at that price tag. So he's going to have to take less money. But again, he'll take less money if it's on an open market and, you know, he, he's a free agent and he has to sign somewhere. So I don't think they're going to trade him right now because I think that the best thing they could do is wait until, you know, inevitably enough, somebody gets hurt and then you've got some leverage a la the Minnesota Vikings and Philadelphia Eagles of Sam Bradford, you know, all the few years ago. But, and then also the new Orleans saints are potentially trying to move into the top 10. Now, first thing I think of when I hear this, right. Is that they're trying to get inside the top 10. Um, I think, okay, that's a quarterback, right? You're not, you're not moving up to the top 10 from where they're sitting, like late twenties. You're not doing that for a corner. You're not, I don't, I don't believe that because you're going to have to give away future ones, plural. So you're not doing all that for, you know, one corner. Their quarterback position, a lot of people look at it like it's settled. They've got Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. Those are two guys that are not proven franchise quarterbacks. So the last time the Saints moved up like this, and granted, they they did move up for Marcus Davenport, I, I will say that, but they, they got that they got him for relatively cheap that year, and it was I believe they were only in the early twenties. Doesn't matter. So they they've shown you that they are willing to do that, but they also have shown that they wanted to trade up for Patrick Mahomes, right? All those years ago. So Sean Payton now with Drew Brees gone, if he was willing to do that with Drew Brees there, he's definitely definitely willing to do that with him gone. So if he likes Justin Fields or Mac Jones or Trey Lance or whatever, and he thinks one of them will be available right around, you know, in somewhere in the top 10, maybe I think it would be seven. It would be the likeliest place for him to go considering they have a relationship with Detroit Lions head coach. Now, Dan Campbell, he came from new Orleans for those that don't know. Um, So that makes sense to me, but my humble opinion, it is absolutely a quarterback. Could it be, you know, a corner? Could it be J.C. Horn? Yeah, I, you know, I guess so. But if you ask me to bet on that, I'm saying it's a quarterback without a doubt. So anyways, that's what I think will happen. I ultimately do think that's something that's really possible because, look, if you're the Detroit Lions, you've got Jared Goff, right? Here's the thing. If you take that trade with New Orleans, let's say they give you two ones, right, two future ones. That means you move back to pick whatever they are, late 20s, 27, I think. And then you're sitting there with a stockpile of future ones. So now if golf is good and you guys are good enough to compete and maybe, you know, like you're eight and eight, nine and 17 this year, possibly a wild card team, who knows? Then you just got a, a bunch of first round picks to build a good team around Jared Goff. If Jared Goff is crap, well, okay. Now we've got like a bunch of extra first round picks to potentially move up and get our quarterback if we even need to move up, you know? So 
from that standpoint for the Lions, it it definitely makes a ton of sense, you know, for them to consider that. And yeah, I mean, I think I, I honestly think they should do that. So, um, and uh, yeah, guys, so that's going to do it for this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to try and get a final mock draft out today before the, before the draft starts, but not sure I'm going to have time. I I'm still working on it and um, I'll let you know. Appreciate you for listening and talk to you later. Peace.